Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Latino Card. I'm Rebecca DeLeon. And I'm J.G. Saldana with the Idaho Commission on Hispanic Affairs. And you are listening to us on KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. We're very stoked to introduce all of y'all to Dele Ogurunri Nola. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. We're so happy to have you, Dele. Um, we want to know all about you. Uh, and the, the topic that we're going to talk about today, again, is kind of this Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but I'm very interested specifically in your perspective, Dele. Um, you're, you're a BSU student, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And what are you studying? Uh, so I'm a double major in biochemistry and physics, and I have a statistical applications minor. Oh, so he, you're really smart. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even understand what you just said. Um, yeah, so that's incredible. I'm pre-med. Uh, I'm headed to med school in about a year and a half. So, so we'll be calling you doctor soon. Hopefully, that's the plan. Wow. That's the Dr. Plan. Dele, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds cool. kind of cool, Dr. Dele. <laughs> Dr. Dele. I have it on my white coat and everything. So. Wow, that's or just awesome. in doctor, because I understand you speak Spanish. I do speak Spanish. Sí, hablo español. And your Spanish is really good. <laughs> but Rebecca and I to shame. Yeah, that's not true. Great. Don't let them get that. <laughs> you put Ash to shame. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're so happy to talk to you specifically, Dele, as as a young black man here in Boise, Idaho, during this incredible movement that we all find ourselves in right now. Um, but I want to know a little bit more about your background. Uh, where are you from? Are you happy to be in Boise? <laughs> are you from Boise? Excellent question. Um, so I'm a first generation immigrant, and my family and I came to the United States in 2004. Um, oh, wow. We originally lived in Ontario, Oregon, which is about an hour outside mm -hmm. of Boise. Um, and then we moved to Boise in 2008. I've been here ever since. I call myself a Boise native just because all of my idiosyncrasies and the way that I kind of move through the world has been influenced by Boise. Um, as far as whether or not I'm happy to be here, good Lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely been an experience as far as like the way that my identity moves and is like seen in the Boise community. Um, and so I would say that for the most part, I was like really happy with my upbringing. I'm very privileged to live the life that I live. But with the recent events just coming to a little bit more visible um, light globally, nationally, locally, it's definitely put into perspective like the group of people that I'm around, um, which is which has made my experience really different. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, we, we on, on the Latino card, we have talked about immigration a lot because it's a huge issue for Latinos. Uh, and we, I think we have left out immigrants who are not Latino. And so we definitely have. We, that's our bad. And this is this, this <laughs> movement has really, I mean, opened even our eyes to a lot of our own blind spots. Yeah. And, you know, as as an individual who is a first generation immigrant, I think that Black Lives Matter gets a lot of it's a bad rap as being exclusively for black folk when like white supremacy is a disease we all have to solve. White supremacy um, has invaded all all manners and aspects of life. And so Black Lives Matter is definitely working towards correcting all those injustices. In addition to that, I think that um, like as immigrants, we live inherently political lives mm -hmm. um, and we are constantly having to like look at the way that the media portrays us and look at the way that the president thinks about us. And so um I mean, as black folk and as immigrants, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of intersection. There's a lot of overlap between our identities. Um, and so it's important to talk about that and important to see how like that shows up in spaces. Yeah. So how did you get start getting involved with a lot of this political stuff and a lot of this mo movement? Excellent question. So <laughs> I did debate in high school. I debated for four years um, and I think everyone should do debate. I mean, I love it. It really opened up my eyes. 
Um, wow. Yeah, no, it was an incredible experience. And I met a lot of really cool people who kind of um, restored my faith in humanity, I guess I should say. But when I was doing debate in high school, I kind of became aware of like, wow, there's a lot wrong with the world. And mm-hmm. I think that I have, um, you know, an obligation to kind of say something to kind of speak out. And so my very first like activist moment, I think, was after Philando Castile was murdered by the police. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a rally downtown that was hosted and influenced by the Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence. That's when I like popped out into like activism. Um, and that was my first real experience, like being in the streets. Um, and I would say that ever since I've just been all about equality, all about liberation, all about human beings. So how, how did you feel in, in your first, I mean, it sounds like it was kind of an awakening for you, man. Um, it wasn't just an awakening. It was really terrifying an experience just because, um, it was the first time that I got to like suffer trauma collectively. It wasn't just my trauma. It was like my mom, my dad, right? Like Mm -hmm. my mom was like, you need to share your location with me at all times, please. You need to do this whenever a police officer pulls you over. Don't move too quickly. Don't reach for your wallet too fast. Call me as soon as you get an opportunity to, but don't reach for your phone too quickly. Don't talk too loud. I mean, it was really, it was an experience that I was like, this is, this is a real thing that could affect me. And living in Boise, people are like, racism doesn't exist, right? Because we're not seeing black people being shot um, in the streets of Boise. But at the end of the day, it's like, we still have to prepare for that. Um, And we still live that life. And that's a conversation that is normal in all black households. I promise you that. Um, Well, and just because you're not seeing people shot doesn't mean that you're not seeing them being discriminated against. You're not seeing injustices happen. You're not seeing them getting pulled over. You're not seeing them. I mean, but it's still happening. So you're seeing this. And it's not just in Boise that I've seen it. I've seen it across the state where we hear about, you know, just racial profiling from the police. You know, you get pulled over for being black or for being brown. So just because you're not seeing somebody getting shot doesn't mean that racism isn't happening. And that's a huge realization that a lot of people haven't made yet. And they're making that realization right now is like, this is terrible. I should care about this. Yes. Um, but you're totally correct in the fact that we, I mean, I, sh- I, don't have to, I don't have to get shot to know that I don't want other people to get shot. Right. Um, and that's the basis of the Black Lives Matter movement is that like empathy is universal and like we as human beings, like we should create conditions where everyone feels welcome and everyone feels validated and no one feels unsafe because I know that I don't want to live in a place and like be proud of a place where, you know, there's people missing and there's narratives missing and there's people who aren't being listened to. Um, and so that's what the movement's all about. And I think that's people are, tr- are trying are starting to get that because a lot of the false narratives have been corrected. A lot of the lies that goes around Black Lives Matter has been corrected and people are doing some self-education on their own. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's a huge privilege is being like, oh, like, I don't see it. So it must not really right. affect me or like, you know, my black friend is has lots of money. So what are you talking about? This yeah. racism doesn't exist. So, yeah, that seems to be. Um, and we'll, we'll get a little bit more into this after the commercial break. Um, but it, that seems to be a, a kind of a pervasive this hashtag Boise kind that is somehow still cropping up and it's being used against kind of this Black Lives Matter movement. Like, oh, well, that's not my experience. I'm experiencing Boise kind. Um, and that's it's infuriating. And, and what you shared with us and, and your feelings um, going into your first sort of rally um, after Fernando Castile was murdered. Uh, that that's very powerful and thank you for sharing that with us and so when we come back we are going to talk a little bit more about hashtag Boise kind in Black Lives Matter movement and welcome back to the Latino card I am Rebecca De Leon and I'm JJ Saldana and we're here with Dele 
And Dele has been um, just really blowing our minds, I think, in case you're just tuning in. Um, he is a, an incredibly powerful speaker. Um, and we were just talking about the, the first, I guess, it was it a protest or a vigil, the first kind of activist thing yeah, that he did? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a protest um, in that we wanted people's attention. Um, and that's what we were trying to do is, like, we were protesting the injustice itself. Um, and at that time, we weren't really, we really didn't have the tools to, like, execute a vigil and we didn't have the organizers and we didn't have the resources and the knowledge we have now so at, at that time I'd, I'd say it was just a protest that makes sense yeah and so how does your experience with that contrast with the experience in the protests and the vigils that are going on now um, i think first and foremost is my inherent connection um i'm much angrier i'm much more frustrated mm -hmm. i'm really really disappointed and upset um and that has really tailored the way that i react as to you know, white America, Boise locals, and my fellow black and brown uh, siblings. But in specific contrast to what happened, I would say that um, I'm definitely, I'd view myself more as an educator between now and then. Gosh, I was 16 or 17 at that time. Oh, wow. And I was just going through all sorts of stuff, <laughs> as, <laughs> as you do when you're 16 or 17. But now, um, I think that the, the first priority in any sort of social justice work um, is describing and being able to identify what the problem is. Um, and what I mean by that is that, like, there's educational discourse that's good and there's educational discourse that's bad. And what I mean by that is that it's uh, the inclusive framework that we develop in restorative justice is that like this isn't me versus you. It's not black people versus white people. It's, it's everyone versus racism. Right. Um, and that realization has really helped to guide uh, the way that I move forward right now. Um, and I'm just like everyone needs to have the information in order to make an informed decision on whether or not you know, they stand with us and they don't stand with us. You should stand with us, by the way. Like, it's really important. <laughs> Thanks for that spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're really, because you're so young and you're already such a role model. I just think, God, your parents must just be so proud of you because, like, I'm sure my mom's probably listening. She's like, why can't you be more like him? <laughs> uh, yeah, same. No, um, my parents, I mean, bless their souls. They're very, very supportive of us. But I want to be very clear that, like, this is a real threat. Like, my mom, anytime I leave the house or anything like that, she's, Word for my safety. And I'm very unapologetically black. Like I have a lot of like t-shirts and sweaters that are all about black lives and supporting black people and being pro-black and all that stuff. And she's like, I don't want you wearing that. Um, and I've been writing a bunch of stuff. I got published recently. Uh, so thank God for that. But she was just, she was scared. I mean, I've got a lot of hopes and dreams and she doesn't want something to happen to me. Um, and so that's real. And I promise you that that's like a threat that a lot of black and brown people face is that we can be loud, but we can't be too loud. Right. right. We, have, we can disrupt the system just enough to make people slightly uncomfortable. But any more than that is when people people really feel unsafe. And, you know, that's that's something that I want to name and something that people need to realize. And I think that, that you bring up a really good point, too, because the diff there's a very clear difference between your mom and the way that she fears for you and your life. And like these people you, you we've seen on the Internet, these white people with their guns and they're in the streets and they're in the house is that our fear is real. We have absolutely all this evidence to prove why we should be afraid. And I say we just because we have talked about this mm -hmm. um, as uh, living as an undocumented person also. Um, but it, it's a different scenario with black people, but it's still like a valid, a valid fear. And when there's like that connection with a mother's fear that comes along, you know, you, you know, we've talked about it, I think on previous shows, we have moms that are like, don't say too much or don't be too loud or don't be too noticeable. Right. And that's very heartbreaking that all black families all black parents do have to have that kind of conversation with their kids and non-black families don't. Right. right. And I think that it's really, I mean, thank you for bringing up that point about how uh, like 
the way that we move through trauma as black and brown folks is different from white folks. And they have a pers- like a false perception of safety, right? And the response to Black Lives Matter is like, like this is our country. Like, we should take it back, um, which is just fascism, first of all. Like, it doesn't make That's any right. sense that you can't... Protesting the right for people to exist without persecution or oppression makes you a fascist. I'm sorry. That's just how it works. Secondly, I think that we need to realize that like our experiences like put us together in ways that the experiences that white folks like they don't you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. when i experience trauma that's something that's going to influence how i interact with another black person and a whore another undocumented person meanwhile you know whoever joe schmo who's coming to the protest to counter protest or whatever and he's carrying his ar-15 gets to go home and have breakfast and tuck himself in bed right like Right. There's just different priorities, which comes with the stratifications of our privilege. And so as you move up and down in your identities of dominance, i.e. whiteness, straightness, cisness, um, you have less and less to worry about. And mm-hmm. that's something that we need, we need to talk about is like the inherent safety that comes with, you know, protected identities versus not protected identities. So you were talking, going back to your mom, you, I hope she doesn't use your Twitter account because, <laughs> you know, I'm preparing for today's show. I was looking at your Twitter account. And I would just think that that would worry her more. <laughs> oh, my mom does not follow me on Twitter. Um, she's listening to this, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at his Twitter Don't account. Follow me on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I I am very very loud. Uh, I have no apologies to anybody who reads my Twitter. I'm. You like, don't need to apologize. Yeah, and I think that social media is a really powerful tool in uh, really giving the truth and. That's a thing that I think is really that demarcates the generation right now, the people who are moving and organizing right now with everyone who is counter protesting, quotation mark, is that like if you look to media, you can see videos, right? Like social media is so powerful in documenting situations that we have to describe and we have to understand. And the media controls the narrative. That's just the reality of it, right? Like we have big corporations invested in CNN, invested in Fox News, invested in MSNBC that are tailored to control the narrative. And so I think that. Social media provides that one firsthand experience for me to directly share my narratives and my experiences. And two, it gives the opportunity for people to also like share their own narratives and find solidarity because there's a lot of connection that's made on social media. And so I think it's one of the most powerful things for this movement right now. And I promise you this movement would not be as sharp and as bright and as powerful right now if it wasn't for the tweets we're seeing, the videos we're seeing, the posts on Facebook, Instagram. So like social media is powerful. People are like, all he does is post on social media. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But. And I think that you're absolutely right. And also I've been wondering, I mean, it seems like you have become a very big voice, especially in this area. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people have been wanting to talk to you, including us, obviously. Um, how did you how did you get to be um, such a, a powerful superstar. voice? Yeah, why are you so cool? Yeah. <laughs> Show us how to be cool. Um, I want I want to name that like these experiences uh, aren't just mine and there's community. Like I've been supported by lots of local organizers. I mean, my sister, her name's Buki, she's a phenomenal human being. She teaches me so much each and every day. But there's there's a lot of community out there that people just don't know about. Um, me specifically, I I'm a like I said I'm very unapologetic about the things that I tweet or like post and like how my how I interact but I also consider myself an educator so I'm I'm all about open discourse I think that it's important that people have the tools and the knowledge to describe and identify racism when it happens so that they can work to dismantle it um and so I guess that's probably like the most important attribute that I would say has kind of like allowed me to move forward in the public space um as far as people wanting to talk to me, I do want to name something that I think is important is that there's a lot of performative allyship out there. And there's a lot of corporations who are like, yeah, like, let's 
you know, post about Black Lives Matter and like Netflix is releasing documentaries about black people, but they're not paying the black actors that are actually working for their show. And like, um, you know, Amazon is like, we're going to stream all the black uh, Lives Matter movies and stuff, but Jeff Bezos isn't paying his black workers, providing them with health insurance, giving them opportunities to move upward. Okay, and I've also seen like, I think it was, they said it was Verizon that, you know, it's like we're all about Black Lives Matter, but then, you know, they're paying Matt Schlapp to go and speak and he's very anti-Black Lives anti -black, Matter. Anti-Black, yeah. So. And, and so that's that's what I want. I want people to be really cognizant of that is that where your allyship is coming from. Um, because if you had to be called out, then your allyship is performative. And right. that's a real reality that you have to face and something that you have to name. That doesn't mean you're not invited to the conversation. Let's be very clear about that. Is that like we want everybody on this movement, but we have to recognize the harm that has come up to the point Um which is the ability for you to opt into the conversation. And so recognizing like, hey, if I was doing something or not doing something that, you know, was harmful, I can I can name that, I can be responsible, I can held accountable, and then we can move forward. Right. Um, but, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing I've been worried about is that like people just co-opting the black narrative for their profit, for their expense, um, which is real. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, I got to get my message out there, right? Like, because people are being killed. That's true. Like and that's a that's a really good segue into the next question that we had, which is how can we be better allies? And we will talk about that right after we come back from this break. All right. Thank you for coming back to this incredible conversation that we're having with Dele, um, our special guest. I am Rebecca DeLeon. I'm JJ Saldana, and I could just listen to him all day. He's been amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're incredible. The way that you are able to, to frame... Um, what's going on right now um not just from your perspective but i mean you you're very good at seeing yourself as just one piece of like this whole tapestry and showing how it all fits together and so i really appreciate wow. you you're coming a crucial on. piece to that i praise thank you very yeah. much i appreciate we're, that we're 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 <laughs> honored to have you here um and so with that in mind uh, can you please tell us how to not suck as much as allies <laughs> <laughs> yeah um gosh like, well, yes, where, do I, yeah. where do I freaking start i mean yeah. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to allyship, um, and I think allyship comes in different forms. First and foremost, the way that I move in my allyship is recognizing that privilege comes in a lot of manifestations. Um, and so, like, as a black person, it's easy for us to be like, you know, the oppression is real and it is. There's violence, there's unsafety, there's harm. But there's different levels of privilege that come with the lives that we live. Being able-bodied, and Rebecca and JJ and I were talking about this earlier, but being able-bodied is a huge privilege. Um, whether or not you're queer is a huge privilege. I mean, moving through the world, speaking English is a huge privilege, having documented status. And so just recognizing, like, who you are in, in the world, right? Like, what is your place and how can you move forward? That's the first step that I would say is, like, really crucial. And then secondly, um, understanding how those identities intersect. Intersectionality is, like, my baby. I love it. I think that it's really crucial, super duper important. And it's it's crucial for people to realize that, like, we don't just bring parts of our identity to the table. We bring our entire identities to the table. Just like you don't leave your house wearing just a T-shirt or just socks. You wear an entire outfit when you walk out the door. You are a dynamic and multidimensional human being. And so all of the things that you are are all the things that you are. Um, and we need to name that. And we need to recognize that. Uh, third is we need to recognize, like, who is most affected. Right. And so um, I don't know if you know, but like people with dietary restrictions, right? Like I'm sure there's people out there who have specific needs when they have to eat. And so if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, I'm sure you've had an experience where you've been to someplace and you can't eat. Um, and so the way that the framework works, it's called the Last Girl Framework. It's pioneered by a lot of black feminists, a lot of black authors, is that if you work to liberate someone who is the most oppressed, who is the most uh, attacked and the most, you know, persecuted in a society, then you're working to liberate everybody. 
in the same way that, you know, if we provide food for everyone who can eat, if we provide food for someone who's gluten-free, vegetarian, vegan, who's got lactose intolerance, then everyone can eat. Because the reality is, is that like, if I'm not gluten-free, I can still eat gluten-free food. Right. But someone who is gluten-free cannot eat gluten-free food. Um, and so that's the metaphor here is that like, we as a society have to kind of come together and protect people and consider this, you know, a fight. And that's my final point. Sorry, I might be talking for a no, long time. Oh, no, I could, like I said earlier, I could just <laughs> yeah, listen um, to you. Yeah, no, but... Both of are just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it's very crucial for non-black people to consider this their fight. And the narrative is like, like, oh, the black people are suffering. Like, that's really terrible and sad. Like, wipes tear, post black Instagram story, moves on with life. And that's not, that's not how it works. Is that like, you have to consider this your fight. Because racism is a disease that plagues the entire planet. It plagues black people. It plagues Asians. It plagues Native Americans, indigenous folks. It, it's, it's a disease that has many proliferations and many manifestations. And so you have to consider racism just as much your fight as mine, as JJ's, Rebecca's. Everyone, because when we undo systems of oppression, right, like we move to a framework where everyone can live empowered and validated. And so that's my my final point is that, like, stop considering Black Lives Matter as something that you can sympathize with and consider Black Lives Matter as something that just is. And it needs you. It necessitates you. Um, and yeah, I hope that answers your question. That's, oh, that's important. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we should just sit in silence for a sec and let that sink in because you kind of just blew my mind wide open. Mine too. That was, that's, that's such a great way to, to look at it. Um, and so for, for the kinds of people here in, in the Boise area who, you know, they're not quite there or they're, you know, maybe they're just starting. Everybody's kind of maybe at a different place in their, in their allyship and in their journey to, um, to joining this movement, um, when they say things like, oh, you know, this is, this is getting really stressful for me, all these <laughs> things that we see on social media, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm so stressed out, I need to like oh, light my lavender candle, oh and it's just very difficult. What do you have to say to those people? I'm just so sorry for you. Like, <laughs> it must be really, really difficult to learn about racism every night. I can't imagine what that's like. Um, no, like that's a thank you for asking that because <laughs> um, the idea of fatigue when it comes to undoing uh, racism and I mean all systems of oppression um, doesn't exist for white folks. I can tell you that right now because the fatigue that we as black and brown bodies face is it's 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 incomparable. Like frankly, um, mm. and so if you are exhausted, if you're bored, if you're like I'm so sick of seeing all the Black Lives Matter stuff on. Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, like, why can't we move back to the new normal? There is no new normal. Like, we don't want to go back to a framework where people are being persecuted, executed, and killed, right? Like, that's not the idea here, is that this is a revolution. It's a, it's a mental revolution. It's an emotional revolution. It's a way that we are shifting the entire framework and shifting the groundwork and pieces that made up this country. So if you're exhausted about racism, hearing about it, like imagine all the people who have been killed. And how racism. do you respond to those? Because I've gotten this like, oh, you're just weak or you're just being, you know. Um, I've, I've been very selective about the people I interact with when I talk about these discussions just because like I think our energy is sacred, right? Like JJ, as a person of color, you move through the world way, way different than someone who doesn't. Um, and so you have to be very careful about who you're talking to in these conversations. But when they do come up, like I said, it depends on how much capacity you have. Generally, for me, it's a ignore and go, right? Like, I don't have time to educate you and also experience racism. It's one or the other. <laughs> um, and so at the end of the day, it's like, if I'm going to be educating folks, I want folks to listen. I want open dialogue. I want discourse. Because I'm a lifelong learner. Like, I'm not someone, I'm, I don't speak for all black people. These are just my experiences and just my thoughts. But at the end of the day, discourse is better than no discourse. But if you come into the conversation 
expecting me to like explain my trauma to you and conveniently package it up for you, then I'm not going to do that. Right. Like in the same way that like trauma is not, it's not a history lesson. It's not something that you can commodify into a 30 minute like lecture in the same way that we don't ask sexual assault victims to tell us the specific details of their sexual assault. We don't ask black and brown people to commodify or, you know, repackage their experiences to teach you. Um, The internet is free. There's also that like Google is free. Your phones are in your hands 24 seven. It's not that difficult to just Google racism and like go from there. I'm serious. And (laughs) that's the thing is that like education isn't free. And like I've had to work and labor for the knowledge that I have. And it's also a lived experience for me. And so for folks who aren't living this experience, it's really important and really crucial for you to to move with intentionality. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's all I have to say to that. So like Rebecca and I, you know, the reason we started the show, um, the reason it's named the Latino cards, because we were always being told, oh, you're pulling the race card. And so yeah. that's why we call it the Latino yeah, card. Yeah, important. And so I think we get a lot of that kind of response from a lot of um, different folks saying, oh, you're being this way, this way. So I think your responses have been, have taught me a lot on how to respond to folks. Yeah, and let's talk about the people who say, like, you're pulling the race card. Um Let's talk about how insensitive that is uh, as a response is if I'm sharing with you like my lived experience, if I'm sharing with you the way that I move through the world, I'm not sharing it with you for you to feel sorry for me. I'm not sharing it with you so that you can feel bad about yourself. I'm sharing with you because that's just the way that it is. And you need to understand that if I if you want to be with me, right? Like allyship means listening first and foremost, Um, because I've gotten a lot of like, oh, you're the angry black guy that's on Twitter all the time or like, wow, you're pulling the race card again. And I'm like. I'm sorry, but like, that's how the world is, is that like, when I move through the world, people see my blackness before they hear my name. People see my blackness before they see my clothes. People see my blackness before they see anything else. And JJ moves through the world similarly, like he is someone who's Latino presenting. And so people are going to look at that and be like, wow, he's pulling the race card again. But the race card is just the world. The world is the race card. And so you have to really unpack that when you realize that like, racism is a disease, right? Like it, it, it moves the way that racism operates, right? Like, it consolidates power and privilege for white folks while simultaneously directing blame and violence towards people of color, right? So not only are they expecting you to be like, don't talk about racism, right? They're like, don't talk about it to me because it doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you are the one that's benefiting from the system that I'm suffering from. And so at the end of the day, it's like the race card is just, it's the world. It's the way that it moves through. Like it's a card that I have to constantly hold up because it's the way that I'm seeing. And so if you're upset or uncomfortable or you think that it doesn't concern you or something, I would ask you to re-examine um, why you think that you shouldn't want to dismantle white supremacy. I don't know. To me, it doesn't make sense why anyone would want white supremacy or racism to exist in the world. And if no one is more qualified to talk about racism than the people who are experiencing right. the racism. That's right. Um, and a lot of, I mean, yeah, we can go, we can go so deep into that too. Um, and we probably will. We'll, we'll probably have you back um, just because there's clearly so much um, that you have to give us, and and along that lane, along that vein, um, black and brown critique to white people is a gift. It is a gift that we are giving them to you because it, it's it's emotional labor that we are investing for you and for your for you as a white person to dismiss it is it, it's unconscionable, quite frankly. However, uh, I think that this movement has really changed the narrative. It's really challenged everybody, including us mm-hmm. as Latinos, to look at ourselves differently and really acknowledge the anti-blackness that we have perpetuated right. in everything that we do. And so the silver lining for it is like, yeah, we were accused of pulling the race card and we leaned into it. 
and nobody seemed to to be bothered by it. But now, now that this movement has made everybody, it's it's put racism right in their faces, and it's like, look at it, look at it now. And it's beautiful, I think, that finally, they they might say, okay, you're pulling the race card, and have some shame and be like, maybe I shouldn't say that. And I I have hope that this will create a future, um, a better future. For my child. And so with that, uh, Dele, thank you so much. This has been quite a pleasure talking to you today. Pleasure has been t- entirely mine. I love talking about stuff like this. You I mean, are you're, wonderful. you're awful. I can listen to you all day. <laughs> yeah, you're awesome Vidas negras valen. Valen, de verdad. Valen. Muchísimas valen. gracias por tu tiempo. <laughs> That's what's up. I told you guys his Spanish was great. It's awesome. <laughs> all right. So thank you again to Delek for coming on. Thank you all for listening. If you want to follow the Latino card, we are on Twitter at the Latino card. We have a Facebook account. It's it's whatevs. Follow us on Twitter. We're all active there. <laughs> yeah. active follow Dele also on Twitter. He's incredible and he will absolutely um, open your eyes to a lot of things in the best way possible. And with that, we will see you all next time. Hasta luego. Adios. Bye.